Welcome to Digital Health Today, the podcast focused on the leaders, innovators and technologies transforming healthcare today and tomorrow. Find us online at digitalhealthtoday.com. Welcome back to Digital Health Today, the place to be to get the insights of leaders making the healthcare of tomorrow available today. I'm your host, Dan Kendall, and this is episode 89. We've all heard the numbers regarding the healthcare spend in the United States. When compared with other developed countries, the healthcare costs in the U.S. are one-third higher relative to the size of the GDP, and yet when comparing outcomes and process measures, the U.S. lags behind. In some areas, such as the rates of premature death and disease burden, the U.S. is also not improving as rapidly as other countries, so the gap continues to grow. Many people and organizations are working to reverse those trends, and many are here in our listening audience. And one of the key areas of opportunity lies in the way employers and employees collaborate and engage in reducing costs. In addition to benefits such as financial savings and optimizing employee benefits, there are additional ways to get a return on the investment, such as improved business performance and a great company culture. In this episode, we're diving into the changing aspects of the employee and employer relationship and how intrinsic and extrinsic motivation can play a key role in improving health and happiness. My guest is Dr. Rajiv Kumar. He's the chief medical officer and the president of the Virgin Pulse Institute. With the entrepreneurial spirit that seems to embody all Virgin businesses, it won't surprise you to hear that Dr. Kumar joined Virgin Pulse in 2016 after the company he founded was acquired by Virgin. That company was called Shape Up, and he led their growth from a two-person dorm room startup to a global company with over 100 employees, 800 customers, and 2 million participants around the world. During his time at Shape Up, he pioneered new approaches to leveraging social connections to enhance employee health and well-being, and he also co-authored several peer-reviewed studies on the relationship between social networks and healthy behavior. He's going to share how motivations can lead to new workforce habits and discuss the unconventional approach that Virgin has to serving their employees. Be sure to visit our website at digitalhealthtoday.com forward slash 89 to grab all the show notes and links from this podcast. And while you're there, please subscribe to and rate our podcast. You can also use the sharing features of your podcast app and those found on our website to send this and your other favorite episodes to your friends and colleagues. Now let's dive into the conversation with Dr. Rajiv Kumar of Virgin Pulse. Dr. Kumar, thanks for joining me. Welcome to the program. Glad to be here. Thanks for having me. Dr. Kumar, Virgin is a very well-known brand, and the founder of Virgin, Sir Richard Branson, is one of the world's most successful entrepreneurs. He's just a true leader in every sense of the word. He's also very passionate about health and wellness, so it makes a lot of sense that there would be a health and wellness company under the Virgin brand. Let's start off, first of all, by understanding a little bit more about the Virgin Pulse organization itself. Can you tell me about the services you provide and the people or the organizations that you serve? So Virgin Pulse is the largest uh, employee health and well-being company in the world. We provide both high-tech and high-touch services to engage people in leading a healthy lifestyle. And if they're managing a chronic condition or they get sick, we have programs to engage them in getting healthy again and and getting back on track. And so we have a very holistic approach to well-being that covers multiple dimensions, mental well-being, physical well-being, financial well-being. And we're bringing engaging tools to the table to help employees lead healthier lifestyles, bring their best selves to work every day, and ultimately to help employers lower their healthcare costs and drive productivity up in their organizations. Now, the organization was originally formed to serve the South African market, right, with Virgin Active? 
That's right. Virgin has a chain of fitness centers in South Africa. And South Africa, like the US, has an employer-sponsored healthcare system. And so they started to form partnerships with employers to incentivize employees to be active and go to the gym. And they pretty quickly realized that there was a much bigger market for that across the ocean uh, in the United States. And so the company ultimately ended up uh, in the greater Boston area and really focused on the, the US market. As you mentioned earlier, you are the largest employee health and well-being company in the world. And I know you've grown organically, but you've also made a number of acquisitions along the way. Can you tell me about some of those companies that you've acquired and what benefit that brings to your suite of services as, as well as to the markets that you're serving? Well, we exist in a very fragmented market. That's a very noisy market. By my last count, there was over a thousand different employee wellness companies uh, in the world actively selling to employers. And so it's a noisy space and it's hard for people to understand, you know, which are the quality solutions and how to kind of organize and make sense of this space. So we believe that there's a need for consolidation and for radical simplicity. There's a high kind of cognitive load for employers and for employees trying to sort through multiple different vendors, multiple different programs, multiple different apps and logins and so forth. And so what we've been trying to do is kind of push and drive consolidation in our industry. And the pendulum really is swinging in our direction where employers are they're experiencing vendor fatigue, employees are experiencing program fatigue, and everybody's looking for a one-stop shop. You know, can we go to one vendor, one platform to get access to all the key programs and services that we want to keep our employees healthy? And so that's really what Virgin has been trying to do. We've been trying to kind of consolidate and create what we believe to be the most comprehensive and most effective suite of services all under one umbrella. And so we've been buying companies that fit our strategic roadmap, that fill gaps that we may have in our offering, and that directly align to what our customers are looking for and what our members are looking for. So I'll just give you quickly a couple of examples. Uh, one acquisition actually was my company uh, that I founded. It was called ShapeUp. And uh, I ran that company for 10 years and I uh, was acquired by Virgin Pulse just over three years ago. And that's how I came to be a part of the Virgin Pulse organization. My company was focused on social wellness, which was the idea of bringing people together on teams and in groups to kind of have friendly competition to motivate and inspire people to change their behavior. And Virgin Pulse saw that as a key capability that it wanted to own and, and acquired my business. We have bought five additional companies since then. One company we bought last year is called called Redbrick Health. They specialized in live services. So having actually human coaches that over the phone or via email can actually coach people and help uh, kind of motivate them and kind of help guide them toward healthier living. And we were purely a digital company prior to that. And we decided that healthcare is so personal and complicated that there needs to be a human component. And so we acquired Redbrick to be able to bring the high touch service to our customers. So just a couple examples of companies we've bought and how we've sort of evolved over time. Let's dive into the Red Brick Health example a little bit more. So in terms of the coaching services that you offer, you mentioned that you've been mainly a digital organization or company before that. How do you see the high touch, the human coaching aspect of the business growing within the overall organization? Are you able to give me any sorts of percentages in terms of what it is right now of your overall revenue and how you anticipate that going in the next five years, 10 years? 
I'd say the live services right now is about 25% of our revenue. And, you know, I think there's always a, a trade-off where we want to provide human touch to members, but we also want to keep costs reasonable for employers. And so we're always looking at how can we optimize that human aspect. And so we're actually starting to do a lot of innovation in that area. We're rolling out by the end of this year, video coaching, so telecoaching, so we can have a kind of a more dynamic interaction between the member and the coach. We are going to start to actually offer group coaching, one-to-many coaching. So a coach could actually communicate with multiple people at one time. We are experimenting with using artificial intelligence where we could actually have bots that will coach people in some of the more basic areas and some of the entry-level needs that people have and then reserve the humans for the more kind of complex cases. And so we're, we're trying to really kind of play with this and, and see how we can make it efficient and scale it across a large population. We already have about seven and a half million members in our total kind of universe. And I'd say roughly about a third of those have access to the live services today. And we want to be able to kind of open that up to everybody. I did an interview recently with Eliza Philby, who's a historian, and she was talking about Gen Z and millennials and some of the differences that they have in terms of the way they approach healthcare. And one of the things she said that really sort of stuck with me was the fact that these younger generations of adults really view the personal interaction as the luxury version. Whereas I think people in my generation and people who are older than me think, well, you know, wouldn't it be nice if we didn't have to go to the doctor and can do some of these things virtually? These younger generations of, of adults have been so digitized throughout their life that that's just a given. That digital interaction is just something that they expect when they then go through that triage or that AI chatbot or their management on a daily basis. Then when they need that personal interaction, that's when the high quality personal interaction really comes into play. Is that part of the thought process behind your organization? Yeah, I think so. Uh, you know, I think we see the two as very synergistic. So the digital platform can actually drive engagement of the live services. So we actually use the digital platform to suggest to people that, hey, we see you might need help in this area. Did you know that you can get access to a live coach who can kind of power you to the next level? And then the coaches can actually engage with people using the digital tools and they can create challenges and messages, set up healthy habits for members to track, and they actually drive utilization of the digital tool. And so there's a great synergy between the two. And, and so we really love this new positioning of high tech meets high touch to truly transform health and well-being. And it seems to really be working across demographics, across every age group. You know, everybody likes to be able to talk to a human at some point when they need it. But on a daily basis, you're not going to reach out to a human. You want something that's sort of easy to use and part of your daily routine. And, and we've used our mobile application to be able to do that. Now, as one might expect for something that is associated with Sir Richard Branson and has the Virgin brand, you have a unique perspective on business. And by that, I mean, it's the priority that you place on employees. Many companies try to put the priority on customers. Tell me about the approach at Virgin Pulse and how that focus on employees really translates into business success. So Richard Branson has a philosophy that if you take care of your employees, they'll take care of your customers. And so in his world, employees come first customers come second. And I think that's counterintuitive for a lot of people, you know, in business because traditionally you've always heard like, you know, customers are always right, customer always comes first. But he's really kind of figured out and cracked the code on if you take care of your people, they become incredibly loyal and they become the best books people for your organization. And if they're bringing their best self to work every day. They're happy, they're healthy, they're well-rested, they have a high self-esteem, they're working well with their coworkers, they're feeling good about life. They're going to kind of portray that 
to the customer, and the customer is going to have that much of a greater experience. And I think that's how he's built so many of his successful businesses: Virgin Airlines, and you know, Virgin Trains, and, and now Virgin Hotels and Virgin Voyages. You know, these are all businesses where they're famous for the customer care and the customer experience, and that stems from the employee care and the employee experience that Virgin drives. You know, I'll give you an example of how this thinking works. You know, Virgin has a new cruise line that's just getting up and running. It's called Virgin Voyages. And they said, you know, we want to really reinvent the cruise experience. So how do we take better care of the staff of the cruise line so that they take better care of the customers? And what they decided is that instead of staying below deck in bunk beds and in small quarters, the crew of the ship will actually stay in the exact same guest rooms as the guests same size, same amenities, right? And so think about just the mental lift that would give you if you're a crew member of that ship. You come to your cruise ship and you're being treated, you know, in this kind of fashion where you're equal to the customers. Imagine your outlook and your attitude and how you're going to treat people. And so that's just one small example, but it's really how do you flow that through any type of business where you you show your your employees that you care about them, you're investing in them and their well-being, and then they pay that back in spades when it comes to taking care of the customers. So that's our philosophy. And that's what, you know, we're in the business of helping other organizations take better care of their employees. I'm speaking with Dr. Rajiv Kumar of Virgin Pulse. We'll be right back after this word from one of our sponsors. Dr. Kumar, before the break, you were telling us about Virgin's approach to taking care of its employees. That was a great example you gave us about the crew on Virgin Voyages, how they actually stay in the same types of cabins as the paying guests. And I can appreciate that that certainly will change their job satisfaction. But I know at Virgin, it goes far beyond that. I mentioned in the opening comments that you've co-authored several peer-reviewed studies on the relationship between social networks and healthy behavior. So what can you tell us about the new relationship or the social contract between employees and employers? Historically, in the United States for the last you know, 50, 60, 70 years, the implicit social contract between an employer and an employee centered around health care insurance. And this contract was basically, hey, if you come here and work hard and do a great job, we're going to take care of you and your family, not just because we're giving you a paycheck, but we're also going to take care of their health care. And we're going to provide you with this kind of insurance benefit. And based on that social contract, the United States really became an employer-sponsored healthcare system. You know, about half of everybody in the country gets their insurance through their employer. And so that bond has been kind of strong for a long time. And it's been the basis by which employers recruit their talent and retain their talent. You know, people don't leave jobs because they don't want to lose their health benefits in in the US. And if you didn't offer health benefits, nobody would come and work for you. Well, we're now in a place where because of rising healthcare costs, employers have been kind of taking that benefit away. They've been reducing the quality of the care that they cover. They've been pushing more costs to employees and their families. I was just reading the latest statistics. The average cost for a family's insurance in the United States, employer-sponsored insurance, is about $20,000 per year. Employees are now picking up about $5,500 of that every year. And that number is going up. So more and more costs are being shifted to employees. And so this contract is being frayed and, and being broken, right? Where em- employees are saying, well, you know, I kind of get health care from my employer, but it's very expensive and you know, the benefits keep going down. And so we believe that we have to sort of fill that void with a new social contract. 
And we think that well-being is the perfect opportunity where employers can say, listen, we may not be able to pay for all your healthcare costs anymore because it's just so exorbitant and you know we can't operate our business. But we will do other things that will show you we care about you and help you take care of yourself and your family. And that will be well-being. So we're going to invest in your mental health. We're going to invest in your physical health. We're going to invest in your financial health. And I think that's why we've seen such a massive rise of well-being programs. You know, In the United States, over 90% of large employers have a well-being program in place. They're spending about 3.5% of their total healthcare budget on well-being programs, and that's going up every single year. And so they're really invested in this. And it's one way, it's not the only way, but it's one way that the employer can establish a new contract and a bond with employees to retain talent and to attract the best talent. I think that's a great idea. And I'm glad to see that companies are supporting that. But I obviously think that a lot of the reason that people make decisions on where they invest their money is based on the return they get. So I'm wondering, are they increasing the amount they're spending on well-being because they're seeing a direct return in terms of employee retention, employee productivity, reduction in physical health costs? You know, I think it varies by employer. I think by and large, absolutely. You know, these large employers don't just spend money, you know, without some type of business case. And certainly at Virgin Pulse, we're helping our customers to make the business case for investing in the health of their employees. But, you know, we have across our book of business, we've seen that, that our program can improve physical activity, it can improve sleep, it can decrease stress, it can lower blood pressure can lower body mass index. It can shift it in a population's entire risk profile downward. And over time, it can lower healthcare costs and it can improve productivity and employee retention. You know, different companies see different results based on how much they invest, based on how they communicate this to their employees, based on how well they integrate it into their health plan and into their culture, and into their environment. Certainly leadership support plays a significant role in the level of success that companies see. But by and large, we see that this can move the needle on business outcomes that companies really care about. There's been a couple of studies that I think are really interesting and your audience may find kind of relevant, published in our space uh, about the impact of investing in employee well-being on a company's stock performance. So if you're a publicly traded company and you're investing in well-being, how does this impact your company's stock? And what they found is that the companies with the best performing well-being programs, so ones that are winning awards, um, that get the highest engagement, that are following best practices, those companies actually outperform the S&P 500 over 10 and 20 year periods of time. And so, you know, that's a pretty interesting data point. Now, we've done our own research and, and we've shown that per employee profitability goes up for companies once they launch Virgin Pulse in their population. So there's a lot of research that backs this up. So what is in a well-being program? What is actually physically delivered? There are multiple components to a typical well-being program. Generally, they include a health assessment, which is sort of a survey where we can ask people about their behaviors and their risk factors and get a sense of kind of where they're at in their health. There's often a biometric screening. So once a year, companies will actually do finger pricks and um, look at their employees' cholesterol, their hemoglobin A1C, they'll measure body mass index, they'll measure blood pressure. Again, they're not getting this data they're doing this through third parties, so the employer is not seeing this data on an individual employee level, but they're offering this as a service, and then the data comes back in aggregate to the employer. It comes back specifically to the employee so they can take action. Usually there's a digital platform where there is content, there's different digital coaching modules, there's uh, 
kind of social challenges and competitions, leaderboards. There's generally a rewards layer. So employees are earning financial rewards. Uh, in the United States, the average employee can earn roughly $750 per year for engaging in a well-being program paid for by their em- employer. And uh, very often we give people a wearable tracking device so they can track their physical activity and their sleep and that data comes in into the platform. Uh, there's a mobile application, which is really the, the dominant way that people are engaging today. Roughly 80% of all of our interactions happen through our mobile application. And then there's a life services component, which we talked about, where you can get access to coaching and condition management for specific diseases or conditions you may be dealing with. And so that's kind of the general program outline. And then because we're sort of a hub, we plug in different modules. So if you want a nutrition program or a stress program or a musculoskeletal program, we can partner with either outside vendors or we have programs ourselves that we can turn on and kind of add to this ecosystem. So it's sort of a marketplace of different programs that employees can choose from and that we can direct them to over time. And how do you balance it in terms of rewards systems, you know, extrinsic versus intrinsic rewards and how do you value those in an employee health and well-being program? Uh-huh. This is a key kind of best practice and lesson learned that we've developed over 15 years in this space. There is a blend between extrinsic and intrinsic. And you know, it's very tempting for companies to go in one direction or the other. So we have some companies that will say, listen, we just don't believe in extrinsic motivation. We want everybody to want to be healthy and we want them to self-motivate. We don't want to pay them to do this. And then we have other more cynical kind of companies that we talk to that say, nope, you know, everybody's lazy. Nobody wants to do this. We're just going to pay them. And that's the only way this is going to work. The answer, like most things, lies somewhere in between. And it's finding that right balance of offering opportunities for people to get excited, to earn a reward for signing up, you know, to earn a reward for getting back on the wagon if they've fallen off, but then using the intrinsic motivation as a way to keep them going using social competition and gamification and so forth. So we have a fundamental belief that everybody wants to be healthy, um, but to tap into the intrinsic motivation, sometimes we have to start with the extrinsic piece to get them in the program, get them to pay attention. And then we have lots of tools to be able to tap into the intrinsic piece. When it comes to the financial or extrinsic motivation, we have to really rely on the concepts of behavioral economics. And so how do you reward people often in real time with small amounts every time they make a step in the right direction, as opposed to giving them large amounts in, in far in the future that they're going to discount or not you know, assume they're never going to earn and make them do really big, hard things to get it, uh, which is sort of flies in the face of behavioral economics. So we let people earn points. They level up over time. They get kind of rewards as they reach those levels. They can redeem them as they earn them, or they can accumulate them if they want. And it's kind of a gamified system leveraging behavioral economics that keeps people going over long periods of time. What you said there, the fact that everyone wants to be healthy, that's absolutely true. Everybody wants to be healthy. Nobody wants to be sick, but there's a difference in terms of wanting to be healthy versus wanting to make the decisions and take the actions that it takes to be healthy. So then it's a matter of of trying to make sure that you get that uh, external motivation if that's necessary. But then I think as people begin to get and feel healthier, then that begins to become a reward in and of itself. That's right. You know, we want people to want to be healthy for the sake of being healthy because it's good for you, because it feels good and it helps you accomplish your goals in life. But if we 
take all the extrinsic motivation out and we simply roll this out to populations, we only get the people that are already motivated to make a change. And that ends up being 10, 15, 20%. If we want to get to 60, 70, 80% of the population, we have to pull every single lever that we can to drive up motivation and to get their attention. And it's not just financial rewards. You know, there's a lot of communications in marketing. Uh, there's a big social piece where we kind of have a bottom-up grassroots campaign where employees are inviting each other, you know, be on my team, help support me, let's do this together. We definitely get senior leadership involved. And so there's a top-down, you know, approach as well. We, we encourage companies to create a culture of well-being, to give employees permission to take time to be physically active or to meditate, you know, transforming their cafeterias and their vending machines to have healthy food options. You know, it's, it's a very kind of comprehensive approach that goes beyond just offering a financial reward or putting a program in place. It has to be really systemic and holistic. That's great. Well, how can people find out more about the programs that you guys offer and just generally about how they can be better employers and institute some of these programs themselves? Our website's the best place um, to learn about us. We're at virginpulse.com. There's a ton of thought leadership there. We have a science advisory board and uh, a lot of thought leaders that are in our network. And we actually publish very frequent webinars that dive into really interesting and relevant topics around employee health and well-being. So you can learn a lot about Virgin Pulse at our website, but you can also learn a lot about our industry and what other employers are doing and kind of where this industry is headed on our website as well. Yeah, I saw that you have the Virgin Pulse Institute, of which you're the president. You also have a very strong blog on the website, virginpulse.com. But you also have a Thrive Summit. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah, absolutely. So Thrive Summit is our flagship event. It's the customer conference that we host every year. And every year it gets bigger and bigger. This year we're expecting about a thousand people to show up. It's not just for customers. Uh, we open it up to large employers who want to come and learn. We have great speakers, uh, Dr. Deepak Chopra, Dr. Rudy Tanzi. Uh, we've got Dr. David Katz. Richard Branson himself will be there. This year it's going to be in New Orleans on May 21st to May 23rd. And uh, we have a whole website set up for Thrive. It's called thrivesummit.com. And so your listeners can, can log on there and learn more about it. Is it always held in New Orleans? We switch it up every year. We take a vote at the conference for what location the attendees would like to go to next. So we've done Miami, we've done Scottsdale, Arizona, we've done Boston. So we're always looking to kind of keep it fresh and also to attract new people. You know, we find when we open it up in a new geography, we get we get to reach new people that otherwise wouldn't come. So who knows where it'll be next year, but it'll be somewhere fabulous. Great. And Dr. Kumar, before I let you go, how can people get in touch with you? And is there anything else that you'd like to make sure that listeners know before I let you go? Uh, best way to reach me is through the virginpulse.com website. Uh, you can find me on there and you can contact us that way. You know, I think this is a very exciting industry. It's a very exciting time. There's a lot of innovation. You know, we, we barely scratched the surface, but, you know, come and engage with Virgin Pulse. We'd love to tell you about how artificial intelligence and digital therapeutics and personal diagnostics are all kind of transforming this space and, and making it even more accessible for people and more effective to transform their health and well-being. Dr. Kumar, thanks for joining me on the program. Wish you a lot of success and enjoy the Thrive Summit. Thanks for having me. That was Dr. Rajiv Kumar, the Chief Medical Officer and the President of the Virgin Pulse Institute. You can find their website at virginpulse.com, and of course you can find that link as well as all the notes from our conversation by visiting the post on our website at digitalhealthtoday.com forward slash 89. 
The Thrive Summit is going on in New Orleans right now as we put this podcast live. So look for links and updates on social media about what's going on down there. And also check their website for information about the event dates and location in 2020. While you're tapping on your phone, please take a moment to give us a quick review on iTunes and drop me a line to let me know about your review and I'll give you a shout out here on an upcoming episode. You can find me on email at dan at digitalhealthtoday.com or on Twitter at healthtechdan. As always, thanks for being a part of the community and doing your part to push the industry forward. And of course, many thanks to our sponsors for supporting our work here. I'll speak with you soon in episode 90. And until next time, keep on innovating. Innovating.